Well, it's really nice to be here. If you've got your Bibles, if you can open them at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Just a, a few verses from there, Mark 1, beginning at verse 9, where we read this. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And then moving over to Mark 14, Mark chapter 14. Jesus has just uh, predicted his betrayal. And then in Mark chapter 14, verse 22, we read these words. Mark 14, 22. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Amen, and may God bless his word to us today. Well, it is uh, two and a half years since I was last here. The milestone birthday was my, my 50th birthday, so I'm 52 and a half, or roughly that. I'm uh, married to a much older woman. Uh, Morag, my wife, was 53 in February. So um, she's actually from Glasgow, and you, you've got to be very, very careful how you treat women from Glasgow. I don't know if you've heard this. It's maybe as well she's not here to hear this this time round. Three, men, three friends married women from different parts of the world. The first man married a Filipino. He told her that she was to do the dishes and house cleaning. It took a couple of days, but on the third day, he came home to see a clean house and dishes washed and put away. The second man married a Thai. He gave his wife orders that she was to do all the cleaning dishes and the cooking. The first day he didn't see any results, but the next day he saw it was better. By the third day, he saw his house was clean, the dishes were done, and there was a huge dinner on the table. The third man married a girl from Glasgow. He ordered her to keep the house clean, dishes washed, lawn mowed, laundry washed, and hot meals on the table for every meal. He said the first day he didn't see anything. The second day he didn't see anything. But by the third day, some of the swelling had gone down. <laughs> and he could see a little out of his left eye. <laughs> and his arm was healed enough that he could fix himself a sandwich <laughs> and load the dishwasher. He still has some difficulty when he goes to the toilet. So, <laughs> so um, it's, it's very dangerous to place too many demands on uh, people. And I'm very conscious of that as you all come here for a, a sort of day out, as it were, because we like going for a day out as Christians. And uh, some of us are here just to be renewed and to be refreshed. And uh, the idea of being here and being told a lot of things maybe doesn't seem too appealing. Maybe even today you thought, well, I bother going because I, I don't want to go there and end up, you know what Jesus said about the teachers of the law? 
how they, they loaded burdens on people's backs and they didn't lift a, a finger to help. And I'm very conscious of that as a, a, a preacher and a teacher that so many of us come to things like that and we're already carrying so much. And uh, I don't want to overload you with demands today. Um, but at the same time, I think what's on my heart in terms of the theme today is that the times are very urgent in which we live. You know, there's a lot of darkness out there. We sing in a Godfrey Berto song, there's a, a lot of darkness but a lot more light. But there is a lot of darkness. And uh, the people of God are called to be the, the light of the world. And we're called to be the, the salt of the earth. And what worries me is I look, for example, at the, the Christian scene in Scotland. And I think it's maybe the same down here. When I look at Scotland, I see some congregations growing bigger and bigger at the expense of other congregations disappearing off the face of the map. I see huge areas of the big cities in Scotland where virtually the, the church has disappeared. And it's as though all the salt and all the light is growing, is gathering together in, in, in a few bigger and bigger churches. But what's the point in that? There's a lot of darkness out there. And somehow the light and the salt needs to get out there. You know this imagery of salt, sometimes we misunderstand it. We, we probably know it's, it's more than about flavoring. Probably if you hear um, preachers preach about us being the salt of the earth, they'll say it, it's not about flavoring. Um, actually, the salt that we put in our food, um, it can't lose its savor. And Jesus is talking about salt that can actually lose its saltiness. The salt we put in our food can't, can't do that. And so people say, well, it's not that type of salt we're talking about, or that purpose. Actually, what we're talking about is that salt was used to preserve things, and that somehow Christians are to be the preservative of the world. Friends, what in this world is worth preserving? We're to pray, come Lord Jesus. When we look at all the suffering that there is in the world, I don't think we've got the heart of God unless we say, come Lord Jesus. Can I, can I be very frank? I live in a, a parish where there's a lot of suffering. And sometimes I do wonder, Lord, why don't you just step in and bring it to an end now? If, if something of that isn't in our hearts, then I don't think we've got the compassion of God. Lord, I know you're letting it run on because you're patient. I know you're letting it run on to give people the chance to repent and turn to you. But Lord, is it worth it? Come, Lord Jesus, and just bring this whole sorry mess to an end. So the salt's more than about flavoring, and it's much more than about preservative. The salt that's being talked about here is, let me describe what it is. At the bottom of your garden in, in first century Israel, you, you would have had a compost heap. And that wasn't just for, you know, excess food. It was for human waste as well. And then you would, you would take some uh, chemical salts and you would sprinkle that on the compost heap or in human waste. And that helped it to break down. And that helped to release the fertilizing power. You see, Christians are called to have a fertilizing influence. Not just a saver, not just a preservative. But we're actually to be the source of life in the earth. God is interested in renewing the face of the earth. 
And that's our calling to be part of that. To be like these salts that are spread in the compost heap. To be like these salts that are spread over all that's dead and decaying. In order to help life to spring. And there's such a danger that we get turned in in ourselves. And that's even more a danger if we've got particular needs and strong needs that have been there all our life that maybe haven't quite been met yet by the grace of God. But I hope in the course of today, you'll see the need to make that journey from the inner working of God within us to the place where we're thinking, what can I do to be part of this God's purpose to renew the face of the earth. But that's for the fourth talk. We need to begin where we are. We need to begin within ourselves because God is is very interested in what happens actually within us. And there's got to be something in us and then there's got to be something between us as the people of God if there's ever going to be anything that can get beyond us. And so we are going to talk about extending circles of renewal. First of all, we're going to think about uh, God's work, the, the kingdom of God being within us. What does that mean? What do we most deeply need to know in the deepest part of our being to start off this process of renewal? And then we're going to think about our soul. We're going to think about How do we let this circle of renewal extend to touch our minds and our thinking and even bless our very bodies? And then we're going to think about what does the kingdom of God mean when the kingdom is among us and between us as believers? And then we're going to think about how do we channel that kingdom into the wider world around us? So first of all, the kingdom of God being within us. What do we most need to know at the very center of our being? In a sense, this is revision, and uh, forgive me for that, but I'm going to do it from a a slightly different way. If I was to ask you to sum up um, in, in two words what it means to be a Christian, I wonder what you would say. Paul's favorite way of describing what it meant to be a Christian was that a Christian is somebody who is in Christ. The Holy Spirit, when we come to faith in Jesus, he actually baptizes us into the Lord Jesus Christ. When scriptures speak about even water baptism, they speak about being baptized into the name of Jesus. In other words, we're placed into who Jesus is. He carries us, he's in us, and we're in him forevermore. And our lives are tied up with him, and who we are to God is tied up with him. I can't remember when I first came to the well. It must have been 2006 or something like that. But I, I showed you something there then that Corrie Tenboom used to do to illustrate this truth about being in Christ. She, she talks about a verse in Colossians about our lives being hid with Christ in God. And she would hold up her thumb. Do you remember me doing this? And she would say, there's your life. And then she would say, there's your life hid with Christ. And then she would say, there's your life hid with Christ in the love of God the Father. So in other words, who we are to God is completely tied up with who Jesus is to the Father. 
Do you think there's ever going to come a time in all eternity when the father will turn to his son, Jesus, at his right-hand side and say, see you, you've always been a disappointment to me. It's not going to happen. And yet some of you here, especially some of you men, are carrying about this feeling that you're a disappointment. Some of you women are carrying about the fact that actually your parents were disappointed that you were a girl. I felt God spoke to me about that through the night. And for all your life, you've secretly known that your parents wanted a boy instead of you. Do you think that God has ever said of you, I wish you were a boy instead of a girl? You're a disappointment to me. If we're in Christ, he says over us exactly what he says over his son. He doesn't say, I'm fed up with you. He doesn't say, get away from me. He doesn't say, I'm bored with your company. He doesn't say, I'm fed up listening to you. He just be quiet for a while. If we're in Christ, then he says over you what he says over him. And that's why we read the story of Jesus' baptism, because what does the Father say over Jesus? He says, you're my son whom I love, and you bring me great joy. I believe that the battle for so many people is the battle to believe in their own wantedness, that they're actually worth something to anybody. And if we don't carry to the world a sense of our wantedness and our value, then actually we've got nothing to offer. I was uh, taken out for a meal last night, which was lovely, and I was uh, telling the folk we were with just the story of these uh, bracelets that I wear. And um, I'm told they're man bracelets, and I'm trying hard to believe it. I'm not, I really do try hard to believe it. And let, let me tell you the story behind them. There was a, a young woman that was brought by her secular counselor uh, to see Moragonai about, I don't know, two and a half years ago now, perhaps. She started to be sexually abused by her father at the age of four. She started to be raped and sodomized by her father at the age of 11. It happened hundreds of times. She made her bid for escape at the age of 15, was taken back to her own house by the social work department. I'm not blaming them, it's a difficult job. And the abuse went on, only now it was, there was an added mockery to it. You can't get away from this. Well, eventually she did get away and our secular counselor brought her to see us. She, she literally did not believe she was a human being. She thought she'd been put on earth in order to tempt her father to do this evil. And uh, Morag and I spoke with her for well over a year, a year and a half. And at the end of that time, she said, I'm sorry, I still can't trust you. And we just said, well, well, how can you? How can you trust anybody after these things have happened to you? But she kept coming and we just kept loving her. And eventually after about two years, she, she came in and she gave me two bracelets that she'd made herself. And she gave Morag two bracelets that she'd made herself. And she said, these are a sign. I'm beginning to trust you. Can you imagine how hard it is for her to believe that she's actually wanted? 
To believe that she's actually worth something. To believe that actually the true verdict that should be spoken over her life is you're my daughter whom I love. And you bring me great joy. She got saved at our uh, annual clan gathering, which is the equivalent event to New Wine down in the south of England. And uh, she was genuinely saved, but she still struggles with these issues. Sometimes I ring the doorbell and I don't know, will it be answered? She's enough light to die by. If she dies, she'll be with Jesus. I've no doubts as to that. But as one older and wiser minister said to me, it's as though she's not yet got enough light to live by. And the message of her wantedness and her value, that she could possibly be the source of great joy to people, let alone to God, it's difficult for her and difficult for many to believe. I've found over the last uh, couple of years, just as I've wrestled with, because probably a third of my uh, congregation roughly has been uh, sexually abused. And I find uh, the writings of Henry now and have been very uh, helpful to me just in trying to help them. He's speaking here about uh, the fact that if Christ is the chosen one, you know, picked out by the Father, then so are we. That the Bible says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And he says this, when I know that I am chosen, I know that someone has noticed me in my uniqueness and has expressed a desire to know me, to come closer to me, to love me. When I write to you that as the beloved we are God's chosen ones, I mean that we've been seen by God from all eternity and seen as unique, special, precious beings. It's very hard for me to express well the meaning the word chosen has for me, but I hope you're willing to listen from within. From all eternity, long before you were born, long before you became a part of history, you existed in God's heart. Long before your parents admired you or your friends acknowledged your gifts or your teachers, colleagues, and friends encouraged you, you were already chosen. The eyes of love had seen you as precious, as of infinite beauty, as of eternal value. And why is it important to remember words like that? Listen to what he says. He says, as I look within as well as around myself, I'm overwhelmed by dark voices telling me, you're nothing special. You're just another person among millions. Your life is just one more mouth to feed. Your need's just one more problem to solve. Friends, so many people, for one reason or another, carry around that feeling within them. I'm really just a problem. So many people in the deep places of their being cannot put their hand in their hearts and say, I'm chosen, I'm loved. 
and I'm the source of incredible joy to my Father in heaven. So many people doubting, am I really wanted at all? The battle to reclaim wantedness is the battle for survival for so many. Listen just to a few more lines from Henry Nouwen. Long before anyone heard us cry or laugh, we are heard by our God who is all ears for us. Long before any person spoke to us in this world, We are spoken to by the voice of eternal love. Our preciousness, uniqueness, and individuality are not given to us by those who meet us in clock time, but by the one who has chosen us with everlasting love, a love that existed for all eternity and will last through all eternity. You know, in the Bible, time is spoken of in two ways. It's spoken of as chronos time, which is the time that we measure in our our watches. They used to be called chronometers. That's time that just ticks on and on. But there's another type of time. It's called crisis time. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being near, do you remember he says, now is the time? And he's using the crisis word there. This is a crisis moment. This is a time when the kingdom of heaven actually invades the story of earth. And I think for so many, the way that this crisis time needs to get into our heart, is to touch us at that point where we're still waiting to hear this. You are loved. You are wanted. You always have been. And you always will be. You know, sometimes I think if the Bible had been written in Scotland, stories would have ended differently. You know, the the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, where Philip explains the gospel to him and then the Ethiopian eunuch says, you know, here's some water, what's to stop me being baptized? I think if that was Scotland, Philip would have said, are you joking, man? It's, it's Baltic here. You don't want to go in there. The, the girl that I've told you about, she, she chose to get baptized in the sea this last summer. It was by far the coldest day of the summer. But you know what? It added to the joy. I have never seen anybody shoot out of the water so high. (laughs) I've never heard such a whoop of delight. I've never heard applause like it from a beach. And the chocolate, chocolate cake and coffee were pretty good too. Wanted. Friends, if we're going to have anything to say to the world, we have to get that settled. Because so many out there, even walking through the streets of Leamington Spa right now, they don't believe it. Actually, when you take away all the trappings, they don't believe it. So let me just ask you, we'll pause there. Hand and heart. Why don't we just close our eyes for a moment before we continue?
I think some of you need to know you're not second favorite. I think, as I said earlier, some of you women need to just rejoice that God loves you as a girl, as a female, as a woman. And he wants to help you be happy that you're female because he's happy that you are. He wants to help you get comfortable in bright colors and pretty colors. He wants to help you being comfortable being seen if it's all right to say this, even your figure being seen and noticed. It's so awful to see women dressed in burqas as though feminineness was something to be hidden away. some of us are uncomfortable with our names and we wish we had a different name and God would say your, your name is actually sweet in my ears and I think he'd say to some of the men you're not a disappointment to your dad just for a moment think what is it about what thought is running around in my head that makes it difficult for me to believe I'm loved I'm wanted what, what makes me live in a place of rejection rather than wantedness just in your heart speak it out to God nobody else needs to hear just in the private place. Just tell him, this makes it so difficult for me to believe I'm wanted. I just feel the name Alison being laid in my heart. And I don't know if that's for an Alison here or an Alison that somebody's uh, worried about. But I've just got such a sense of an Alison being really precious to the Father in heaven.
Lord, whatever happens this day and wherever you take things from this point on, may we just find a secret joy rising up in our hearts in the course of today. I really am loved and I really am wanted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you're wondering why did we read the story of Jesus' baptism and and then go on to read the story of communion. Well, I, I think, or the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever it is you call it in the churches you're from. Um, I think this is a thought that really, really helped me from Henry Nouwen as well, that when Jesus took the bread and he blessed the bread and he broke the bread and he gave the bread, um, actually what was happening there was more than something with the bread. It was a, a symbolic representation of the whole story of Jesus. How God the Father had taken him, chosen him, set him apart from everybody else. And in the same way, Jesus takes the bread and we take the bread in our communion services today and, uh, and we set them apart from all earthly and common use to this holy use and mystery. That's what we say in the Presbyterian rite of communion, if you like. And then he blessed the bread. Do you know what the word blessed means? Actually, in Latin, it's benedictio, which means to speak well over somebody. And we've thought about that already, how, uh, how at, at his baptism, the father says over Jesus, you're my son whom I love and you bring me great joy. So he, just, he didn't just set him apart. He actually blessed him. He spoke good things over him. But then Jesus broke the bread because he himself was broken on the cross. That was part of the story. And then he gave the bread because he himself was being given for the life of the world and to the life of the world. So the story of the bread and the wine of communion, it's, it's not just a symbol, it's actually, it's a good way of summing up the whole Jesus story. And going back to where we were thinking at the beginning, if I was to tell you what I think renewal is in its essence, it's just the story of Jesus continuing in you and me. And these four words are very relevant to us. That Jesus just like Jesus, we're taken. We've already thought of that. We're chosen. We're set apart. God says, you're mine. That just like Jesus, we're blessed that God has already spoken good things over us this morning. You're my son, my daughter, whom I love, and you bring me great joy. But there's a third part of the story. And that's that the bread was broken. And I just wonder if there's some of us here, and that's actually the part of the story that we're in at the moment, as God seeks to conform us to the image of his son. I think it's just fact that nobody gets into a place of usefulness with God without a time of brokenness. 
And I wonder if some of you are here this morning and you're thinking, well, how can I be wanted? How can I be chosen? How can I believe that God is actually speaking good things over my life? You're my son, my daughter, whom I love. You're not a disappointment. You bring me great joy. How can I believe that? Because I feel that right now, the ground is just disappearing beneath my feet. I don't seem to have any solid ground to stand on. And I just feel broken up. Friends, there's a mystery to suffering. And no minister and no Christian should ever try and fully solve it when we're speaking with one another. This lady that I'm telling you about this morning, do you know what one Christian said to her? She said to her, when all that was happening to you, Jesus was with you. Friends, that in one sense is theologically true. But you know what her reaction was? That just seems like a sick joke to me. We need to be really careful what we speak into suffering and brokenness and not speak simplistic things. I don't think there's any full answer to the story of brokenness other than to say it happened in the life of Jesus and the Father still deeply loved him. It does not mean you're not loved. It does not mean you're not wanted. I heard a, a minister in the Church of Scotland uh, who was moderator. That means, you know, he sort of takes charge of the church for a year uh, in our sort of parlance. And um, he, he was in with a, a class of six-year-olds, a primary two class. And somebody said to him, you know, Mr. Miller, what's the, what does a minister do? What's a minister's job? And he thought for a moment and he thought, well, how, what do you say to a six-year-old? And eventually he found himself saying this because he was in a really tough part of Glasgow when he was being asked this. And he said, I think the job of a minister is to help people know there's a way to be happy even after bad things have happened to them. And I listened to that and I thought, you know, that's not evangelical and biblical enough for me. I think that's a bit wishy-washy. And, and more and more since then, I've seen the wisdom in it. That really is part of our calling in a broken world. To be able to say to broken people, you know what, there is a way to be happy. Even after terrible things have happened to you. When I first came to Wester Hills, I used to say something that I've stopped saying now. Um, as a minister, I've said for years and years at the start of worship, a sentence like, well, here we are to worship God, so let's just leave everything else outside the door and let's come into the presence of God and worship him. And you know that song, let's forget about ourselves and concentrate on him and worship him. I, I, I never allow that to be sung anymore. And I'll tell you why. It was a girl, a 16-year-old girl in my congregation that taught me why not. When I first went there, we had a significant problem with people self-harming. They would self-harm during the service. They would cut themselves during the service and so on. And uh, I thought, you know, it, it just annoyed me. I, I didn't even particularly care they were doing it. It just, it just annoyed me that they were doing this in the service. How dare they do that when I'm <laughs> preaching? You know, hardly any compassion about why they were doing it. I was just annoyed. 
And so I said to them, I thought, I'll, I'll need to do something about this. So I said to them, you know, let's remember when we come in here, we're coming to worship God and we've all got problems. So let's just try and leave them outside. Come in here, focus on Christ and you'll be much better off. So the following week, they all came in. And at one point, this 16-year-old girl, she got up, she went out the service, she went into the toilet, she took a piece of a mirror and stuck it in her knee and drew it up to her thigh and then came back in and worshipped the Lord. She was only doing what I told her to do. She'd left it outside. But she found she couldn't stop thinking about it. So she went outside and she attended to it and then she came back in and got on with worshipping Jesus. And ever since then, I've seen that so often this let's forget about ourselves when we come in here. It is just ministers who are saying, you better be paying attention to me. It doesn't come from care. It comes from irritation. And these girls have taught me a much better definition of worship. It's bringing all of me into the presence of God. You don't leave anything outside at the door. You bring it all in. And you lay it bare before the God to whom all things are bare and known anyway. And you say, this is me. This is me in my brokenness. This is the me that you love. This is me. And I'm bringing all of me to all of you. I wonder sometimes if the reason that the love of God that we've been talking about at the start of the talk today, I wonder if the reason why it doesn't get from here to here is that often there's broken bits here that effectively we're leaving out of the presence of God. Is it time to uncover some of these? Do you know the best place to do that is in worship? Because when two or three gather together in the name of Jesus, he's there. God comes to inhabit the praises of his people. He's enthroned upon the worship of his people. When we worship, the healer is present. We now and then, not often, maybe six times a year, we get people who are just healed as they're worshipping God in our congregation. They're just healed. Because God's there when we worship Him. So what do you do with your brokenness? Do you leave it out? No. In the presence of God, as you come to Him in worship, you uncover it all and say, this is me. And this is the me that loves you. This is the me that doesn't fully understand you. And this is the me that needs you. And I want to meet with you today. So just like the story of Jesus, as the story of Jesus is repeated in us, there's the takenness, there's the blessedness, but there's also the brokenness. 
I think I maybe shared with you, I'm not too sure, but the last time I was here, that uh, we, we went through a really, really difficult time in Thurso. And I'll not go into the whole story because I think I did tell it the last time I was here. And it really badly affected my son. And, but for me, the, the most difficult thing was that e even though my family were suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, in all sorts of ways, not, not one other local minister asked me in the course of seven years, how are you getting on? And sometimes it's the wounds within the body of Christ that hurt us the most. We somehow expect more from other believers. And I didn't know how deep this had gone. And then I was away at a retreat and um, we were offered an hour's personal prayer. And uh, this American couple, they, they didn't ask me anything. They were just operating by the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they started to ask me about my son, David. And uh, I started to tell them the story. And then they said, would it have helped if other people had spoken out? And I said, yes, I think it would have. And then this old American in his late 70s, he got down in his arthritic knees and he held out his arms to me and said, Kenny, in as much as I can do this, I want to represent those people to you. Will you forgive us? And with my mouth, I said, yes, of course. And then from within came wails and sobs that I couldn't stop. And you know what blessed me most? I looked and saw that they were crying with me. That's what the Bible actually tells us to do. Why don't we just do what the Bible tells us to do? They were weeping with those who were weeping. Do you know, I look back at that and see it now as my truest time of worship. These wails, these sobs. Because that was me at last bringing all of me to all of God. So there's the takenness, the blessedness, the brokenness. These become part of our story too. And then lastly, the givenness. Jesus was given for the life of the world and, and having been given for the life of the world, he was given to the life of the world. Can you believe that you're the gift of God to the life of the world? Can you really believe that? You know, sometimes we think, you know, oh, he thinks he's God's gift to women type of thing. And, and we, we think of that thought as being a very arrogant one. And usually it is, you know, when we see that type of behavior. But can you believe that you're actually the gift of God to the life of the world? That this world needs you. And God needs you in order to give you to other people to continue this story of wantedness first time I was ever involved in deliverance. I've not been involved in deliverance that often. And I was, um, I was just praying for this very quiet, demure Christian lady. And all of a sudden, her, her neck just snapped away from me. And then she looked back through slit eyes. I'd only been a minister a year. And she looked back through slit eyes. And another voice, not her own, said, ha ha, you didn't know it was me, did you? And, and it was right, I didn't. And, <laughs> And, and I didn't know what to do because, I mean, at the college I went to, the, they, they didn't believe in the devil. They didn't really believe in God either. They sort of <laughs> thought, thought he might be there, you know, but, but the devil, that was a definite no. And I thought, I don't, I don't know what to do here. And um, 
I, 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 I sort of was gasping. I would love to say I was God's man for the moment. I wasn't. I, I was just absolutely gasping for breath. And eventually taking a breath and gasping for every word, I said, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, and go. And then it didn't help that the lady said, it's not going, it's not going. That didn't, that didn't exactly help either. And then... Then this thing within this lady started to sing a, a hymn to Satan calling upon resources for help. And I thought, oh, well, that's a good sign. You know, if, <laughs> if it's calling for help, something must be happening, even though she's saying nothing is happening. And then the power of God came on me. And I felt I had this thing by the scruff of the neck. And she kept on saying, it's not going, it's not going. And I said, it will go, it will go, it's okay. She said, it's not going. I said, it will go. And then a phrase came into mind. I felt the Spirit of God saying, tell this lady, you're the gift of God to the life of the world. And I said that to this lady. And then literally all hell let loose. And there was a contest. And voices came within her and out of her mouth saying, no, she's not. No, she's not. She's sinful. She's tainted. No, she's not. And so I just affirmed that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And this is what God is saying over this life. You're the gift of God to the life of the world. And the thing left. And the lady claps across the table and then came to. And I sat there as looking as though I was fully confident of everything that had happened. And, and you know, knew everything about what had just happened. And, the truth is I knew nothing. And the truth is, this shows it was God. When I got, when I got back home, I was afraid to go upstairs in the dark. You know? <laughs> but, but I've never forgotten that phrase. And it had such power in this lady's life. I, I want to speak it to you. Do you believe you're the gift of God to the life of the world? that there is something unique. Remember, you're precious, you're chosen, you're unique. All these words of Henry Nouwen. That he set you apart. He sees you as this unique human being whom he loves. He's spoken good things over you. You're my son, my daughter, whom I love. You bring me great joy. He's been with you in the mystery of brokenness. Maybe the mystery that you're in now and have been in for years. But he also wants to complete this part of the story of Jesus. You've got something to offer to people. God can use you to reach people in situations that nobody else could reach. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're the gift of God to life? Maybe you feel that folk actually seem awkward around me and I don't, I don't really believe I'm the gift of God to anybody. When God met me in 1994 and just renewed me in the, the Father's love, incidentally, but buy these books by Mark Stibby. There's nobody better in the UK speaking on the Father heart of God. My daughter was his PA for six months last year and uh, she had an amazing time just going all, all over the place and 
you know, hearing this amazing teaching week after week and month after month. There, there's, nobody, there's nobody better. So, so get hold of, of that teaching on the, the, the Father heart of God. Because we need to get that settled deep, deep down. Because the truth is, this is a prodigal world. Back in 1994, when I was renewed myself in the love of God and the love of the Father, there was a a speaker over from Toronto called uh, Jim Paul, not John Paul, but Jim Paul. And he said that three times he'd heard God say, my arms ache. My arms ache. My arms ache. And eventually, the good sense to ask, Lord, why are your arms aching? <laughs> and uh, he said, my arms are aching to embrace a prodigal world. We need to be sure of the love of God here. Because it is a prodigal world. But the amazing thing is this. God's love is waiting to embrace that world. And when, you know, when we've not got the love of God here, the most that we can offer to the world is just, it's just the ugliness of religion. It's the bad face of religion. It's truth without grace. Just at the table last night, we were out for a meal. There was this young waiter, and he said he'd been in an alpha course. And what, what had put him off was that somebody had just said in a very bold, straightforward way about his uh, girlfriend's parents, so they don't believe in Jesus, so they'll be going to hell when they die. Truth without grace. And that's not going to win the world. It's amazing the difference when you speak something the way that Jesus would speak it. And we're going to think about that next time around. Let's just take some more time in the presence of God. Let's shut our eyes again. Just be in the presence of God for a moment. I'm going to take time just to speak about these, or give you time to think about these four words. Taken, or substitute that for chosen. You know, the, the way that Jesus set the bread apart from everything else in the table. As God delights to see the story of Jesus again being repeated in the lives of believers. Think of these words, chosen, blessed, broken, and given. And we'll just take a minute to think of each one, just in silence. Go back and think about the word chosen. What does that word say to you? Does it seem to be a bad word because you were picked out for bad purposes at some point in your life? You wish you hadn't been noticed. Does it seem to be a word that you want to shy away from because of a sense of responsibility. If I'm, if I'm chosen, it must be for a task and I'm too tired and I, I just can't think of the responsibility of the word chosen. Or does it seem a good thing? 
that somebody's noticed you. You dress in a way that, that hides you so, because you don't want to be noticed. It's the thought of being seen, chosen, picked out, watched with unutterable love. Is it a comfortable one for you? What about the word blessed? God is speaking good things over your life today. So something that pushes against that. broken does that seem to hit the spot Lastly, the word given. Can you believe that this world needs you and the purposes of God need you? Despite all the enemy would say to belittle you, to keep you hidden, to keep you living out a life that is less than who you really are. Can you go against that this morning? And say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to that any longer. I'm the gift of God to the life of this world. Lord, we simply ask that your spirit would be part of our thoughts and the meditations of our hearts this day. That in these more quiet moments when we just sit, we might know and hear the voice of the Spirit of God. And would you give us ears to hear what he's seeking to say. In Jesus' name. Amen.